And that was probably some of the most I've ever progressed in my life. I want to be stronger on land so that I don't have to put out 100% effort to get the same result in the water. This is the biggest wave I've ever paddled into, and I'm pulling into this thing. Welcome to the Basis Surf Podcast. We have Nicoa DeCoit with us today. Uh, very honored to have him in the house. He's a professional big wave surfer, used to be part of that whole Jaws paddling movement, so really push the boundaries in that regard. We're going to be diving into a lot of interesting stuff in coming up as a surfer, how he learned to improve and progress at such a fast rate, shreds in big waves, shreds in small waves, um, and also has a keen kind of interest in sports psychology and how that really helped him improve, um, and also fitness. So it's going to be really interesting topics that I think are going to be relevant to a lot of people. So uh, first of all, just thanks for joining Nakoa, uh, and um, yeah, just really excited to get into this with you. Yeah, man. Appreciate you having me on, and uh, hope I can give out some information that the people will will take home. Cool. Yeah. And I should mention Nicole is the first person I've interviewed that has a bona fide eight pack. <laughs> Actually, maybe Lenny has one, but uh, yeah, Nicole has a straight up eight pack. So yeah, yeah. Uh, we're going to get, we're going to need to get your tips on how to get an eight pack. Uh, I definitely need uh, to work on <laughs> one pack. You know, I got so. you. I got you. All right. Sick. Okay. Uh, so why don't we actually just start off with kind of how you got into surfing in the first place? Did you come from a, you know, a family of surfers? Is this something that you came to yourself? What was that? How did that all happen? Oh man. Yeah. So you're on the islands, right? I'm from Maui. You're surrounded by the ocean family, big on fishing and surfing, but not, nobody really competed anything like that. Actually, my family's, they're Paniolos, cowboys. So that, I grew up more on horses than I did in the water. But, you know, everyone's always at the beach. So I used to, I used to bodyboard quite a bit. That's a dark, dark secret mm. that I don't let out too often. But <laughs> that's where it started. I actually didn't start surfing until I was 15. Um, wow. But you develop so much wave knowledge and ocean knowledge just being in the water, right? So we would spend hours and hours and hours messing around in the waves. We had body boards, we'd body surf, skimming, all that stuff. Crossed over into the surf world fairly easy. So it's not like I picked up a surfboard at 15 and had no idea what I was doing in the ocean. I just didn't understand like, oh, this is pumping and these are surf turns. So that, yeah, that, that gave me an advantage for when I... I finally did start surfing at 15. So your your wave knowledge must have been just really good. And I, I'm body body surfers are constantly getting barreled. So I'm sure that's going to help you get barreled at, you know, Jaws or whatever, right? So so funny. You know what converted me? Well, besides one friend telling me that once you start surfing, you're not going to bodyboard anymore. And I was like, there's no way. I love this. I actually got a closeout barrel surfing. And I wasn't in the water. I was standing in completely dry as I pulled into the barrel. I was like, that's it. I quit bodyboarding. Never going back. It was it was such a different feeling that mm. I'm like, I'm in. Whatever this was, that felt way better. No, you know, bodyboarders, it's fun. It's it's good. But yeah. get barreled standing up. It's a completely different ballgame. Right. You kind of feel more isolated and it feels a little more magical. It's it's weird being surrounded by that element and not being touched by it. 
because bodyboarding you're in the water like your legs are are dragging right like you're you're usually your arms planted on that rail and like you're catching a lot of the wave on you so it's still really cool and fun but yeah having that the whole thing surround me i wanted to like stop time and look around and touch stuff like this is i'm in let's do more of this yeah that memory of my first barrel i mean i mean most people just that that's eternally locked into your brain right it's amazing yeah. didn't even make it out just got so, closed out i was like i don't care this is this is a blast that was it so switching over at 15 that i mean i'm assuming you started surfing more and then you're trying to figure it out and you're comparing yourself to other 15 year old surfers like what was that like yeah well by that age kids are already pro especially in yeah. especially in hawaii my god like the talent pool is insane so uh my friend group uh, especially my friend keiki he he was a skater i had skated then i was bodyboarding he surfed and a couple of our friends were already surfing and they were really really good so i was so far behind the curve but like i said once i got that closeout barrel i was like and i skate i might as well cross over seeing how good they were i was like man i i, I have no idea what i'm doing I'm just, I'm trying to like, I'm seeing what they're doing and it just doesn't, no, nothing makes sense. The wave knowledge makes sense, but the maneuvers they're doing were just so far beyond me. And I'd ask them questions. And if you're asking teenagers how they're doing stuff, like, I don't know. I just, you just do it. Right. Don't be a kook. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> yeah. And so I started, uh, I guess one of my, the gifts that I had at a pretty young age is the ability to break down mechanics. I, I started to see like, oh, when he's doing this, I feel like his weight's in a different spot when he does this cutback or this carve. I feel like I'm always so front foot heavy and I'm, I'm messing up. And, I, and a lot of it came from seeing footage too. Luckily, we had a couple of surf movies lying around and you would watch it and then try and do it but if you weren't filming you had no idea if you're doing it right or wrong but i started to break down the mechanics of things and slowly figure it out but yeah it was good to have such a good group of surfers because you're just constantly the i was constantly the worst one in the group was always chasing everybody and because i started so late like i said they're getting paid everyone has free boards and getting clothing and traveling around the world and i'm like I like surfing. <laughs> it, it did help push quite a bit to want to get better really quickly. Yeah. But did that kind of give you this underdog mentality when you're going into it where you're like, wow, I'm behind, but I, I'm going to just do anything it takes oh, to get caught up. Like, come at me. I was like, I'm the, I'm the, the baby in the family too. So there's always this, you're the, the smallest, the slowest, the weakest, whatever it was, but. I always use that to chase people and then getting into the surf world and being so far behind. I was like, they don't know, but I'm coming for them. Like I, I wouldn't, I wasn't like verbally, they're my friends. Right. And they would do some crazy turn or get barreled. I'm like, that was sick. Like I would also like yeah. to do that, but I had, I had this fight in me. That's like, not only am I going to, be as good as them i want to be better than them i want to be better than everybody it, it, it's a little right. ego driven for sure especially when i was like really starting to get competitive with it but i i needed that 
and I didn't learn how to harness it very well at a younger age, but I loved always having people to chase and to, to catch up to. Mm-hmm. That, that was something in me that forced me into so many areas to progress. I just, I was like, I want to, I want to go. You just had that drive and that, that drive was, I mean, really, uh, it's just almost everything when it comes to sports, who's going to put the time in, who's going to put the effort in yeah. and get the reps in, you know, and all that. So. Yeah. Because I loved it. Yeah. So yeah, if I didn't, if I didn't love surfing, I wouldn't have been able to put in the time and the effort. So I loved it. And I saw how good people were at it. My friends were at it. And I was just like, I, I love this so much. I want to be as good as them. I want to be, I want to be better than them. I really, it really drove me quite a bit. Do you ever remember like hitting any plateaus where, or maybe what, what was your, what did your progression feel like? I'm, it might be kind of hard to remember all that, but you know, was there this DM where you're like progressing rapidly, you hit a plateau and then you broke through it, anything like that? Oh yeah, for sure. I'd say in the beginning, even in the, the gym world, you call it like newbie gains, right? Because everything you do for the first time is a step up from where you were the day before. So the first cutback, the first like snap, the first little floater, it's I've gotten better. I've done a new trick. So you feel all of this progression. And what absolutely broke my heart was the first time we filmed and I saw footage. On I, I, I thought I was Andy Irons. I thought I was the guy just ripping. In my mind, it felt like I was doing stuff and I saw footage. And I was like, oh my God, I might have one of the worst styles I've ever seen. And that turn did nothing. Like there was no spray, there was there was no flow, there was no speed. But in my mind, because my body twisted this way, I thought I just slammed the lip and did a huge turn. So yeah, plateaued. I, I probably plateaued around like year two or three. I kind of noticed that I was... I was trying new things and I couldn't learn them. Like I, I picked up some of the basics fairly easily. And then I, I actually, Isaac, who you just had on, I watched him start to work with one of the guys, uh, Matt Kinoshita, and he started getting really good. And I'm all, what are they doing that I'm not like, I feel like I'm surfing every day, but they're doing stuff that I'm, I'm stuck. Wherever I'm at, I'm I'm stuck. I'm not getting that much better. And I tried to pick Isaac's brain. I'm like, what you guys, like, what's the secret? What are you guys doing? He's like, oh, Matt's really good at breaking down fundamentals and basics. I'm like, yeah, but that's not an airy verse. Like, yeah, do a bottom turn. I'm like, I know how to do a bottom turn. He's like, do a better bottom turn. So, yeah, definitely, definitely dealt with plateaus and multiple plateaus too. I think you reach a level and you stagnate. Sometimes you go back a little bit before you go back up again but yeah multiple plateaus throughout the whole career do you ever remember any piece of advice that really helped you break through that plateau or any thing that you realized by studying the mechanics that really allowed you to like take it to the next level yeah bend your knees (laughs) (laughs) there are a few things i do remember again a lot of it does revert back to basic fundamentals of like weight distribution i think a lot of times we'll develop bad habits or it'll work on a certain day 
like the waves might be bigger, have more punch, more speed, and you you get away with less. Like you can get away with more mistakes, I think, when the waves are good. And if you if you yeah yeah if if you got speed, it helps a lot. When the waves are small and and crappy, and you make your foot's a little too close to the rail, it digs the rail. Like you're just a little bit off, you lose speed, and then you, you can't even finish the wave. So little little tweaks of i on smaller days i would get too front foot heavy and i would dig my front rail or my my inside rail ton on like cutbacks or carves and i wasn't pushing off on my back foot really weird things like that and i would i wouldn't get low i wouldn't compress and be able to drive off of my rail a lot of times in in smaller waves and i didn't know and no idea so i just thought like ah, i'm not a small wave guy i can't do this i can't do that i need i need good waves to pull these things off but then watching the footage and then being curious and trying to look at the mechanics and then when somebody would tell me oh your your weight's too far in your front foot it, it would it, i tried it clicked right away i was like ah, oh, that makes so much sense like that's where i if if i can't figure out the mechanics and somebody can point it out a lot of times i would I would understand what they were talking about. And I think that's what would help me make these leaps in progression. Cause you, you try it, right? Yeah. Put your, put your way, your back foot. Right. Okay. Let me, let me try it. Oh shoot. Yeah. I do. I do feel a little mm-hmm. bit better. Bend your knees a little bit more so you can compress. Okay. I thought I was saw the footage. Uh, not just stink bugging it up. Let me try and bend the knees a little bit. It's like, Oh wow. Okay. And then it would, it would just lock in. Yeah. Well, that, that process, that iteration where you like identify a mistake, you try to fix it, but then you really need to see if you properly fix it. And then you just keep on that continual fine tuning is like the key, huh? And you definitely can shred in small waves now. I mean, I saw you (laughs) there in like a waist high wave. So (laughs) it seems like you, you can't, you got over that issue. Yeah. it, it, It repetition, but honestly, filming, in my opinion, filming is the best thing you can do in action sports. I mean, I feel like in, in most mm-hmm. sports, but we we start to develop a feel for something that we think is the right mechanics or the right technique. And if you don't see it, you don't really know. You kind of, sort of, you, you... And I for me, I developed a lot of bad habits. I was like, I thought that this was the right way to do this turn or this was the right mechanics to have my body position in. And then I would watch the footage and go, it works, but that's, it's like, it's not it. Like you see when somebody has it really dialed in, like the turn just looks, even if it's a crazy section, like it just, it just looks good. Like they'll have control over it. Even if the leg comes off, they still, they reel it back in like nothing had ever happened. And I'm like, man, I don't have that that like fine tuneness and that control and a lot of the the things that I thought I was doing so well. So footage, 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 and then, then trying it. So actually me, Isaac, a bunch of us, we would take turns while you get 10 waves. You go out, you catch 10 waves, you come in and we switch. And we would switch filming and we'd do that. It would be the crappiest days ever. And that was probably some of the most I've ever progressed 
in my life. Hey everyone, it's Van. Hopefully you've been enjoying the podcast. Hopefully you've been listening to some good stories, getting some good tips that are helping you improve as a surfer. If so, make sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, it'll only take you literally a few seconds, and share it with your friends. That's the best way you can support me so I can continue to create awesome new content for you. So thanks. My life, because you would watch a few of your clips, right? Like not all 10 waves had anything to show. Sometimes you get dropped in on or you fall on the first turn, but you would see the turns that you would try and then go back out. Do it as you're getting filmed again. So now you have a test and a retest. So watching that the second, third, fourth time that you come in, you're like, oh, okay. Like now round five, I'm finally understanding it. And, and we got pretty, pretty good at going out and focusing on one or two things in those sessions. We had our free surf sessions and whatever. And we also had days where we're like, you're only going to work on this one maneuver. If the wave doesn't offer it to you, who cares? then you, that's all you're focusing on, whatever whatever it is. And I actually coached kids for a while and I would do the same thing with them. I was like, I see you do anything else besides this one cutback, you're doing push-ups. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it helped It helped progress so much because you need those reps and surfing is so difficult to get reps in. You just, you, you don't spend enough time actually on the wave. You just, you don't. And that's so smart though, how quickly you get the feedback the way you're doing it, right? And I think most people struggle because they're like, well, I don't have, I don't have a filmer. I don't, yeah. I'm not gonna, I don't have money to pay somebody. Right. But if you just get a buddy and do that, it's just, that's perfect. That's all you need. Yeah. You, you need, you need a sparring partner or like a group because like, and even the clips that we were getting, we weren't trying to put together sponsor me videos or video parts or anything and this was all pre-social media right so we were just trying to get better we just we just wanted to see what was going on and crappy camera like the worst tripod super shaky footage but we were we were trying to see what we were doing and that feedback was one of the best things we ever did and nowadays like you film whatever you want on your phone like they even they got lenses for them like now there's i think why the kids are getting so good at such a young age is one the exposure to so much surf footage but also their ability to capture it on their own instant feedback and they have gopros so you're getting pov angles you get water angles you get shoreline angles they're getting so much more information than we were back in the day that the level is just skyrocketing right now. Yeah, it's pretty, it is pretty nuts. It's, it's nuts. Well, so that sounds like a real big key to your progression. And then you also mentioned that, you know, focusing on kind of your psychology. Well, when, when did that come? Was that something that you were always interested in, you know, when you were younger or is this something that came later how did that all mix into things no that was way later i wasn't really introduced to it i'm i do remember the first book i got it was it was from my friend keiki the he's a jujitsu black belt now but at the time he was just obsessed with jujitsu and he, you run into a lot of guys that are into philosophy in the martial arts world and he's like hey man have you, you ever heard of sports psychology i'm like i've heard of it i don't really is it like normal psychology or what he's like yeah but it's really geared towards improving and a lot in athletics 
And I was like, no, but that sounds interesting. So the book was, uh, it's Coach John Wooden. He was the UCLA basketball coach, like one of the winningest basketball coaches of all time. And his book is called The Pyramid of Success. And he kind of breaks down the structure of how he coached his athletes. And reading that book and being a surfer, a little different because the basketball gym has so much structure, right? The rim's not moving. The court is not moving. The players are moving. The ball is moving. Those are the variables that you're dealing with. You're not dealing with you, the variable, your board, the variable, the people around you, the ocean, the wind, the current. There's so much out of your control, but there was a lot of mental things that I took from it. And one of the one of the biggest things I think was visualization and and that like everyone's had those days where they just suck, right? Like you can't do a turn to save your life. You you're getting burned on every wave. You get and you start to snowball effect like these negative thoughts. And I didn't even realize that it was it was messing with my performance. And I would punch boards and like I would get mad. I, I would, I wasn't like real hot headed towards people in the lineup a lot of times, but when you're not surfing well and you care so much about it, you're just getting mad. And part of it was like, well, now visualize you doing well. How do you feel when you're, when it's one of those days where you can't miss you're on the magic board and every turn is clicking what like get into that headspace. Sometimes I would, I would go into shore and just watch waves, like waves that people weren't on or waves that people were on. And I started to visualize how I would approach that wave. I would kind of edit the person off the wave, unless they were surfing really well and I saw something that I wanted to, to take. But I started to visualize those, like, like just surfing really, really well all the time and getting rid of the negative, like snowball effect. And that was a that was a huge, huge, huge thing for me. Because when you get mad, you tense, right? And you're trying to like. Sometimes it works. Like, man, there's been a few turns I've done where I was pissed and like, yeah, like okay. But if we look at percentages, most of the time you're tense and too aggressive, and you're not really in the flow of things. You're not going to perform your best. And that book opened up a lot of mental practices and ideas that I had that I had never ever thought of before and that that just opened up this whole gateway of sports psychology I was like okay what this is just one book from one guy that plays basketball like let me let me see what else is out there yeah well I think everybody can relate to having that crappy session and most people just get stuck in that crappy session you know yeah. like it's so hard to reset mm -hmm. it's really hard to reset I think I'm gonna have to try that one it's sometimes I would and, go in too because it's just yeah. you need like a reset sometimes not every time especially if you're in a heat I don't know how many people are like competitive surfers out there these days but it's like free surfing and it, you're, you're supposed to be out there because you, you want to have fun like surfing is a, a really fun thing for me but I'm competitive, so I wanted to perform. And when the performance isn't there, I would start to get mad. And then sometimes the matter I got, the worse the performance got. And then the whole the whole session and the whole reason why I was even out there in the first place is, is ruined. And I would go in, if I could catch myself, like, you need a reset. Paddle in, watch a few waves, breathe it out. Now what do you want to do on this wave? 
watch it. I'd be like, oh, I'd click three turns to the beach on that one for sure. And like, how would it feel? I felt pretty good. I was like, all right, next wave. And because you're on the shoreline watching this, your wave count goes to a thousand, right? Every wave that comes in right. is your wave. And I actually use that with the kids quite a bit because you just do not spend enough time physically on the wave. You can surf for three hours. You are sitting and paddling for two hours and 55 minutes. <laughs> you might spend five minutes total on a wave in a three-hour session. Maybe, depending on where you're surfing. But it's, that's not enough time to progress. And if you're having a bad session, you're mad. Like it's, it's almost a complete wash unless you can go reset and go mind surf a little bit in my, in my opinion. Totally. You know, it's interesting. I almost feel like part of the reason why progression has gotten so good is good and bad, you know, but it's so back in the day, everybody had surf films and you'd watch like the whole video, but like with Instagram, there's just all this new content and it's always short clips. It might even just be one turn. And I feel like all the grounds are just like watching that one turn like a hundred times and they're just visualizing themselves yeah. just do that turn. I mean, that's what I do, yeah. <laughs> you know, when I'm trying to work on stuff. Yeah. And it uh, that visualization process is so key. It's interesting using that as a reset. Um, so I, I, I like that. Was there anything else that really helped you? Um, Anything else that you, you still do, um, even outside of a competition setting and just more kind of in a free surf setting that's been really powerful for you? Yeah, like a lot of that stuff that we were talking about, it was it was so geared towards progress, right? And getting better. Now that I'm not competing and getting paid anymore, my relationship with surfing has changed a lot. Uh, now, and I think it always... I don't know if you saw Dorian's interview with uh, Joe Rogan. He talks about surfing being an art form more than it is a sport. And mm -hmm. I'm in I'm in that camp 100% now. At one point in time, I was like, no way, like this is a sport. But the more that I, I thought about it, it's so open to, to judgment, right? Like if, if you watch something like, like the U.S. Open at Huntington, and some every now and then somebody gets barreled off the pier. They'll find a little left wedge or something, get barreled, come out. They get them, give them a nine. Then somebody does three turns, Huntington hops to the inside section, hits the section. They get an eight. I was like, the guy that did the three turns, in my opinion, that was harder to do. But the wave quality was better with the other person. But now you have to judge it, right? You have to judge. Yeah the quality of the wave that the person was fortunate enough to get versus somebody who actually performed better for what they were given. And that started to, like that idea started to pull me away from the competition sport mindset so much and being like, well, how do I want to express myself on this wave? Like maybe I don't have to do three to the beach Maybe I can just chill for the first like half of the wave and set something on the inside. Maybe I can draw different lines just because I haven't drawn, you know, longer lines in a long time. I don't need to stay in the pocket and just go top to bottom the whole time. And 
that became more philosophy than psychology. It kind of opened up another little branch of the the mindset. And I actually started having more, more fun. I, I do have a lot of fun progressing and growing, but once I stopped competing, it became this new new way of growing in a in a less high performance way. I guess it's a little a little spiritual in a sense where your your personality kind of comes out on a wave, like on a wave like the way that you approach it. And you'll see the soul archers. You'll see the people just real aggressive, which is kind of me. Like I get a little aggressive on waves, but you see the personalities come out. And it actually yeah. it became really fun just to express on the face of the wave that's the canvas the boards, the paintbrush, and you're right. guiding it through and doing these things. Yeah. I think that is such an interesting, yeah, I think it is such an interesting topic. I mean, I feel like surfing is a little bit of both, obviously, but even, even if we go with your view and Shane Dorian's view, which I agree with, by the way, that surfing is pure, it, it, it is a form of art. It is a form of expression. You know, when you think about the, the greatest artists, they always start with the fundamentals, right? You know, even, even if you look at Vincent van Gogh, like he probably started doing hyper-realistic painting. And it was only after like years, decades of being like probably a classic painter, he had mastered those fundamentals and then he had the skill to now then, okay, you know what? I'm going to break these rules. I'm going to do it in a different way. Yeah. You know, and I think with surfing, you probably need to do that as well. You need to master those fundamentals. You need to know how to do a proper cutback and a bottom turn and all that. But then once you got that, that's when you can start adding your flair into it. Yeah. Right. Would you agree with that or how do you think about it? Yeah, hundred percent because good luck expressing anything on a wave or a, a canvas if you don't understand the tools that you're using, right? You gotta have a base, but also if you have a mastery of the basics, you no longer think about them. It all becomes about expressing. You're not thinking about where's my weight or what type of fin should I use for the day. Like it just, a lot of things become second nature. A lot, a lot of stuff is like Bruce Lee. He's like, don't think, feel. And a lot of that actually resonated with me in the water. So it's like, yeah, man, when you overthink sometimes, which you need to in the beginning, right? When you're trying to master the fundamentals, but once you don't have to think about the bottom turn and you're just reading the wave and you go there and then the, the turn just happens. And I think, you know, going circling way back to when I was asking my friends in high school, how do you do that? They'd been surfing their entire lives and they're like, never really thought of it. It's second nature. Like, ah, you know what? Now as an adult, I was like, that makes sense. They've spent so much time building these fundamentals even though it wasn't practice and repetition and breaking down techniques i was like they naturally just did it and over these years now they don't even think they just they just react to what the wave is giving them and they're expressing what they want to do you have the power surfers you have the the hipster soul archer guys you have like the real aggressive they want to do some turns you have the air guys like these are all people expressing themselves differently on on the waves. It's actually it's cool. It's cool seeing the personalities match up with with the surf styles. Yeah, totally. And um, that is the highest level of surfing. I feel like not everyone is there though. <laughs> 
And yeah. what is your what is your what is your advice for people that are trying to get there with their um, with their rail surfing? I mean, I know that you got. I think you did an article in Trans World Surf about power surfing. What were uh, what did you talk about in that that article? Oh, you did a deep dive. I like that. Um, yeah, that that article. That's when I was like first if you really. Can. No, I, yeah, I do remember because I haven't had very many articles in Trans World Surf. So rest in peace, Trans World Surf. You're one of the good ones. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was a, a, a lot of it that we talked about was developing power on land and then how it converted into, you know, rail surfing and power surfing. I think a, a misconception. We'll talk about technique, but we'll talk about the like the concept behind strength out of the water and then technique but the idea is that i want to be stronger on land so that i don't have to put out a hundred percent effort to get the same result in the water so let's say me and you have the exact same board the exact same wave we do the exact same turn and i produce a little bit more force than you in the competitive scenario i would probably push mod more water and generate more speed now if i'm producing that much more force with less effort if you're giving whatever 100 percent, and my 70 percent produces more than your 100 percent, i can do that over and over and over and over and not get taxed if you're going 100 percent the whole time warren technique starts to fall apart a little bit right because you're giving everything you have instead of just being a little more relaxed and not being so like, i gotta i gotta put everything i have into this turn and over a long period of time you, you save so much more energy being efficient but you you put in the work on land to develop that strength to be efficient in the water and i don't want to have to do a hundred percent effort I think a lot of mechanics fall apart when you try too hard to do something, especially power surfing. You push too hard and the fins blow out all the time, or you just, you hold the turn a little too long and then you might make the turn, but now you get caught behind the section and it, it doesn't follow through. So when I started training and getting stronger, I was like, oh, wow, I'm putting out less effort and producing more speed and force than I was, you know, two years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, then when you apply technique to that physical advantage, it's like good luck. Again, you take two guys that have the exact same technique, right? And somebody's just a little more efficient, a little stronger, a little quicker. They're gaining these small advantages over the, the next person. Uh, if we're just talking about free surfing, expressing yourself, whatever, then it, I don't think it matters as much. But when it came to like, wanting to be competitive, wanting to, to push more water, wanting to be faster that I was like, Ooh, these are the things that are going to get me to those, to those places. Well, I think even if you are free surfing, you want those things, you want to go faster. Do you want to yeah. get more spread? Yeah. As, uh, you know, so this is, yeah. I guess this is how you got really gotten to the fitness side of things is trying to explore how improving your just pure strength and your fitness is going to translate into the surf. Yeah, because I was so far behind everybody, I, I started to realize that I need to find areas that I can improve on that people aren't pushing as hard. Because 
it's going to take me years and years and years to catch up to these guys in the water, right? They have too much experience. So where can I gain an advantage? I was like, nobody's training. And once, once it made sense to me on, on like how it converts into the water, cause it's a lot of hard work and I feel like surfers train more now, but we're talking back in the day, surfers didn't want to put in any effort. It wasn't cool to put in effort. If you were the guy trying too hard or being too competitive, you were like a loser. So I would train at night in the dark where nobody knew I was building my arsenal to come after them. <laughs> uh, they didn't know, man. They A lot of them didn't know. I was like, I would actually, uh, once we started to get to the big wave stuff, people came around because they didn't want to die. But when it was just small wave and competitive stuff, I was one of the only guys really pushing hard in the fitness world because I, I was like, I need some advantage somewhere. So if I can out paddle them, if I can, if we're trying to get wave counts up, right. And I don't get tired and I can surf for four hours instead of three hours or, or four hours instead of three and a half hours. It was like those extra 30 minutes over 10 years will give me a small advantage. And so I was like, then fitness is one of the ways that's going to get me to gain those inches to catch up because I'm so far behind. I want to catch up. So not only putting math. That's so interesting. Time, man. Yeah, it was, it was water time and gym time, which most people just wanted the water time. Right. I think what's so interesting, the way I'm hearing you talk, which is, makes a lot of sense is your time horizon is so long. You're talking about, I'm going to gain 30 minutes every session, but over 10 years. And over that time period, I'm going to just surpass everybody. Yeah. And I don't think most people think on that level of time frame, but it's impressive because I think that's how the greatest people really are going to be the best, right? Yeah. That, that came from the sports yeah. psychology stuff. Yeah. It was, you will, you will usually overestimate what you're capable of doing in a year and underestimate what you're capable of doing in 10 years. And when I heard that, again, these are all like you get quotes and you get these ideas and, and these certain things resonate with people really well. And it was things like that, that really clicked and went, okay, I know I'm not going to catch any of these pro surfers in the next year. That's impossible. Yeah. But when I say, what about 10 years? I'm like, whoa. Who, who could stop me in 10 years? Like, you know how much work I can put in in 10 years? If I can gain an inch on these guys every day for the next 10 years, I'll be right there with them in 10 years. I just, I need the time. That's such a great attitude. That is such a great attitude. I think especially with surfing because the, the gains are just so incremental. So but if you just like steady a little improvement over time, it's going to, it's going to pay off. So what were some of the things that you were training in the gym? Um, man, I've learned so much. If I could go back, I would do it different. But when I first started training, everything was circuit training and everything was like, I'm talking balls to the wall. Like if I wasn't completely exhausted or if I didn't feel like I just got hit by a truck, I, I felt like I didn't do enough. So I missed out on a lot of one unwinding from what surfing does. 
surfing, I mean, there's so much torque and twisting and arching your back and you get into these really weird positions, especially hips, knees, and ankles. People are hurting all the time. All the develop, I think you had talked about developing some shoulder problems from just, it's such a repetitive motion, right? You're, you're not really doing the opposite. Yeah. You never paddle for a wave doing a backstroke, but it's a good idea to unwind what you've wound up. But when I first started training, it was real military, real like martial art style where you're just just grinding, grinding, grinding. But every circuit was a full body three times a week. It was, you were doing arms, shoulders, like pushing sleds. We were like, thankfully enough, uh, shout out again, Big Mike, he he had a, a gym in his garage and he would just invite us over and he was pretty knowledgeable. So he had all these toys and like we weren't at, you know, a 24 hour fitness or we weren't at some global gym just trying to work in between bodybuilders. We had like our own setup with all functional training stuff. The thing is, it was too much doubling down on whatever the motion was in surfing. We tried to mimic in the gym. Hmm. I think there's a time and a place for that, but you also have to unwind a lot of the winding up that surfing does and then build strength and mobility and stuff on top of that because I work with a posture therapist now and he's like, all right, so you got this V8 engine on you, right? Car runs great. You got good fuel in it. Fantastic. But the alignment's off on your front tire. He said, you, you can go a couple thousand miles, but eventually that tire is going to wear out and then you can replace the tire except you're a human being, it's a lot harder to replace a joint and a muscle that, or ligament that just gets worn out. He's like, but if that alignment is straight, you'll get a lot more use out of that. And he's like, and then you can just, you can hammer away, do all this stuff. But he's like, make sure you're, you're lined up. And it wasn't just yoga and chiropractic work. He's like, you really got to make sure that the muscles have been trained to hold these, these straight positions. But I didn't know that in the beginning. I was like, let's go. Let's just kill myself at yeah, the gym. Right. Like what? Yeah, it was a lot of just circuit. Oh, it was weights, cardio. It was everything you could think of. Almost cross, yeah. CrossFit-esque without the without the, the sport aspect of it. You were literally like, here, you're yeah. going to do one minute of barbell curls. And you're going to do one minute on the rower. Then you're going to run 100 meters back and forth for a minute. Then you're going to do push-ups for a minute. Then you're going to do pull-ups for a minute. And everything was, you're kind of going to failure because the rounds just never stop. You would do, that would be one circuit. And you would do that six, eight, ten times. And by the last round, you're doing one pull-up, two push-ups, half a barbell curl. You're walking up and down. Mm. You're just... You're just not stopping. But if I could go back, I would restructure a little differently. But that that taught me some mental toughness, if anything. The, the biggest benefit of that was you're gonna put in all this hard work on land that when I got into the water, it was all it was it was easy, right? Train hard, win easy. So what would you recommend um for the everyday surfer? You know, they're, they're trying to improve. They're trying to get good. Maybe not as crazy, as intense of a program as you were doing when you're just yeah. balls to the wall trying to be the best surfer ever. But, you know, how would you prioritize things and, and what would you, what would you suggest? Yeah. De depending on their goals, it's kind of hard to answer, right? Because 
an everyday surfer that wants to. And like when I was trying to be better than everybody, that would just help me get better, even though the idea was so big, right? Like I want to be pro, I want to be on the tour, I want to be the best. That just forced me that no matter where I was, I wasn't stopping because I was never going to get there. But I was also just driven to get up to that place. If there someone that's surfing every day, even if they're not trying to be a, a pro surfer or whatever, um, for the fitness stuff, I would say I got to go with, you should look into some posture therapy stuff for sure to do a, like a lot of the unwinding. Um, I work with this guy, uh, Vinny Crispino. He has a, uh, He's on Instagram. It's called The Pain Academy. He does a lot of really good stuff. He has tons of free content, but he also has online stuff that people can check out. But if you are someone who doesn't have any injuries and you feel pretty lined up um, for surfing, get your legs and your core like dialed in for sure. Um, even now, so I don't surf as much as I used to, but I still... I have more power now than I did. The technique's a little off, but what I do a lot is one is called the belt squat. Um, you no longer decompress your back by putting a barbell on your spine. So when you load your back, I'm going to get a lot of hate for this because 99% of the fitness population still uses a barbell. But again, for surfers, you don't need to carry hundreds of pounds on your shoulders right? Like you might get some G forces from a big wave, but it's not compressing your spine the way that a barbell is. So a belt squat actually decompresses your spine. It kind of looks like a dip belt. Some gyms will have it where the weight is centered right underneath you. And you're basically doing air squats, but you can add hundreds of pounds of, of weight to it. I do a modified one because the gym I'm at doesn't have it where I use a landmine um, plate, put a barbell in it, and then I I put a little dip belt on the other end. I have some stuff on my Instagram that doesn't give you the, the technique on how to do it, but you can see what the setup looks like. That and the trap bar deadlift is huge because it involves your entire body for strength and you're learning how to drive force from the ground, right? So if you're coming off those bottom turns to drive up, I would also do some split squats because it's good to work on stability. So like a Bulgarian split squat is one foot's elevated behind you. And then you're you're basically doing a lunge, but you're not moving forward. Um, those are really good for stability. Plus you're getting used to putting weight on one foot and then the other foot. And surfing is a lot of shifting that weight from, from foot to foot. And I'll throw some side lunges in there too. Because if you do a, a deep side lunge, it looks exactly like a turn. Like all your weight will be on the foot that steps out to the side and you're kind of just kick. You can even throw the hands too if you want it. Just do that. And then core work. Yeah. Core work for sure. But it's there's a difference between having abs and like a strong core. <laughs> I hybrid I hybrid both because I'm in Hollywood now and like the aesthetics matter. But having a strong core with stuff like especially with surf stuff i do a lot of um 
It's an oblique twist, but I love the landmine plate. So it'll be a barbell and you'll end up going side to side. I like that more than like a mason twist or a Russian twist where people sit on the ground and do twists that way. And then I do a, a cable twist too. And what I like about the cable machine is, so if, if, if I'm holding the cable and I rotate out, as it's pulling me back, I'm resisting the machine. So in a sense, I just did a backside turn and a frontside turn. A backside turn mm-hmm. and a frontside turn. I'm not just drilling one side. It, it really does balance out pretty well. And and you can go goofy and regular with it, right? Like you'll switch stance and that's a really good core workout. A lot of people will do planks and stuff, but I'm like, you don't really need a plank for surfing, in my opinion. Like you never... yeah. You're never in that position. Oh, we used to do tons of planks with like all the surf fitness DVDs I bought in the book. They're like, you need planks. Like, when do I ever plank in the water? It, never. Yeah. Isometrics, time and a place for them, sure. But I've, I'm going to get in trouble. Some some people are going to disagree with me heavily. But again, this is, this is my personal experience for training for the last... 13 years and I was a surfer before I was a trainer so I I geared the training for what I had already had experience with not the opposite I think a lot of trainers that picked up surfing later they have a, a different relationship with how they I'm not saying that they're wrong I'm just saying I don't know if they have the depth of understanding of the, the feel for certain things that I do Someone like I don't know I don't know if you know Kahea Hart. He he's a surfer turn trainer. I think he's got a lot of yeah good stuff too. But yeah. yeah, for the everyday surfer, get your legs stronger, work on your balance with some like single leg stuff, get your core strong with some rotational stuff. And the rotational stuff also helps counterbalance, you know, because you're you're either goofy or you're regular and you're gonna be overdeveloped on one side from being that way. So the right. the the balancing it out rotationally is really good for longevity not just creating power yeah i was gonna say that and what about a surfer that you know maybe because there's weekend warriors out there they got nine to fives they can't surf every day you know you mentioned paddling how important is paddling man paddling is one of those things that i have done so many cardio exercises to try and mimic paddling nothing really does it like paddling it's such a unique thing right i and i taught surf lessons for maybe seven years back on maui and i had one athlete that wasn't completely exhausted at least upper body wise after the lesson and she was an olympic kayaker i mean we had we had peyton manning i had like d1 track athletes (laughs) and football players and we had olympic swimmers but the thing is the swimmers they're, they're used to generating so much with their legs. And when you're on the board, you're, you're kicking, but it's this, this turnover that's so different because you're, right. you're trapped in that position. The swimmers really can get more efficient positions. It's, it's, a, it's just different muscles. Like They were pretty close. Yeah. But if you want to work on the cardio aspect of it, I love battling ropes. Like you get those big ropes where people are just that hitting the heavy bag, like a lot of upper body cardiovascular stuff. And then when you are, if you are the weekend warrior, you're going to hate me. After you catch a wave, paddle out as fast as you can. 
and then take your breaks. If you're a weekend warrior, your wave count's probably not going to be that high anyway. But I, I would do this even when I was in full-blown like training camp for competitions. I would catch a wave and just book it out as fast as I could to develop that that cardiovascular like burst. Because you're bursting into the wave and then you're surfing it and then people usually relax, take their time back out. And I was like, well, I might sit out there for the next 10 to 20 minutes anyway. That's more than enough time to recover from any cardio exercise. So I would just sprint out every wave I caught, I would just sprint back out and it's going to ruin your session a little bit because you're going to be not having as much of a relaxing time. But if you're trying to develop the, the paddle strength and, and the cardio that comes with it, you do it, you do it long enough and you stop getting tired. And there's one point I could, I could just out paddle, not out, there's guys that were still faster paddlers than me, but I would out paddle them over time. It's like if we're surfing for two or three hours, oh man, they had, they were Michael Phelps getting inside position on me and catching waves for the first hour. Hour two and three, I'm beating them now because I had the endurance to maintain it. It's not a heat, yeah. heats aren't that long, but if you're competing through a whole weekend of surfing, you might want that. Or yeah. if it's firing and you don't want to go in, like having your shoulders burn out when it's all time is one of the worst feelings ever. You're like, I want to catch more waves, but you didn't spend the off season prepping those shoulders to be able to handle the good days. So like use the crappy days to stay in that top shape. And then when it's firing, you can stay out for your three, four hours and you don't have to go in because you're tired. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so in terms of order though, for people, what people should focus on, would you say paddling is number one and then core and then legs or you know how would you rank them if you're a weekend warrior it's just because I, I don't think their wave count is quite as high as the people that are going every day and like really yeah. progressing and pushing so if, if you're the weekend warrior I would say like like what do you what's the goal right like you want to go catch some waves and not be completely exhausted and maybe you want to have a little more pep in your step a little like pump a little quicker when you do a turn like i'm saying be more efficient with that you wouldn't have to go too crazy you could train like two times a week where you could have hey i'm just gonna do a leg and core day where i, I focus on building a little bit of strength and then i could take a day or two off and then do an upper body like mild strength and finish with some some cardio and then if i'm surfing saturday sunday really thinking about okay the waves aren't good let's get this fitness high i'm just going to sprint out huff and puff for the next two or three minutes and the first couple of weekends that you do that you're going to be more tired than you were and then in like we're saying it adds up over time two three months down the line six months a year down the line and then the hurricane swell hits and you're just top notch and you can surf all weekend get your wave count up to 20, 30 waves a session, that's when it's going to pay off. Hell yeah. That sounds like that's great advice. <laughs> All right. I got a couple more questions and then uh, I think we'll, we'll call it because we're getting towards the end. Um, but yeah, you, uh, and it's, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you here, but I want to know more about, uh, well, tell me the story. Tell me what that wave was where you got nominated for the double XL award. Oh man, let's get some PTSD going. 
Actually, <laughs> this is uh, this comes back to some sports psychology stuff. That, actually, that session was huge for me and my career. Even though I got, I, I won't swear, I got my butt handed to me on that wave. So what had happened was before the WSL had uh, a big wave event out at Piahi, um, Red Bull wanted to put on an event. And at that time, it was real early in the the paddle scene. It had only been maybe maybe two or three years since people were like really pushing it out there. And we had our crew, right? It was like, like me and Albie, were, we paddled it for the first time together, but we had, you know, Isaac came with us, our friend Keiki came one time with us, Jeff Raleigh, there, you know, Greg Long would come over, Mark Healy, Ian Walsh. Kyle Letty was there, but he was still doing stand-up. Uh, he hadn't even crossed over to the prone yet. And there's Billy Kemper. There was, all, there was all the guys that are still owning it at the top level right now. But I didn't get invited into the event. I was an alternate. And half the guys that had gotten invited had never paddled the wave. Right? So I, in my mind, I was, I was upset because I had been one of the standouts there over the last couple of years. As far as we know, or it's actually documented. Me and Albie were some of the first guys to paddle in on the right. There were some Brazilian guys we knew that are nuts, like Marcio, rest in peace, but Danilo and Yuri, they would surf the left, all goofy footers. Or like, these guys are crazy. And we're like, why don't, why don't they go right? Like, all oh, the rights, that West Bowl is too fast. It's too gnarly. Me and Albie are regular footers. Like, ah, we'll surf the right. And we started doing fairly well out there. Albie got the invite because he's, he's Albie Lair. He's, he's already an established pro surfer. I was kind of nobody, just like the local, like balls to the wall guy that would send it. I got the alternate thing and I posted on my Instagram, I put alternate question mark. And I got, <laughs> I was getting phone calls from reps and friends, like delete that. Like, what are you doing? It's so disrespectful. I'm like, what do you mean? This is my backyard. And I'm I'm a native Hawaiian of this land, of this island. And and I'm a standout at this spot that I helped pioneer, quote unquote, at least for paddling the rights. And I'm not getting invited to the party. And the guys that were invited are are tapped. They're some of the best big wave surfers in the world. But I was like, they haven't even paddled out here they have no idea what this lineup is like how is this possible so i was pissed and i got scolded i'll take it down you're an alternate you should be thankful you're young like you'll be in next year like somebody might drop out and i'm like whatever so <laughs> that was my <laughs> that was my attitude and honestly i was hurt and it and Deep down, I was hurt. I was like, man, I put in so much time and effort into trying to be the best that I can be. This huge opportunity comes to my backyard and I get like a participation trophy. And actually, I don't even get to participate. I'm just kind of a part of it. And so 
they call the contest on. We did the open cer- opening ceremonies first. They called the contest on um, in the, they had a, the holding period. Call it on. Everybody flies into town. Swells massive. It looks like it's going to be clean. The day before, they call it off. And nobody, nobody knows why. And everybody's there. The swell is huge and the conditions were clean and it was good. And they don't, we still to this day don't know why they, they called it off. But I was so happy because I was like, now that the circus is in town, I'm going to go prove to all of you that I belong in this contest. It's a place of arrogance, full place of arrogance. I, I, I understand completely that I was so ego driven in that moment to go prove to everybody that I belong here. So that was my first wave of the session. I jump off, I jump off the ski. It was me, Dave Stein and a uh, coconut Willie, who you should interview. He's man, he's a character. But we'll hunt. Oh, we 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 went out together, uh, and I marched straight to the peak. And everybody's out because John John was invited. Dorian's there. Healy's there. Greg Long is there. Kai Lenny. I'll be lit. Like the whole big wave world is there. Again, this was before the the WSO had their event there, and this was Red Bull. Red Bull made it like this massive thing, and then called it off everybody's still there and the swell shows up like it's game time these big wave guys it, it wasn't about just winning the contest they were going to be out there regardless if there's a contest or not but it did create a little different energy to the atmosphere and i jump off and i just march straight to the peak i'm like i'm going on the next wave i don't care it's like I, I unless it's one of my boys deep i was like it's mine fresh <laughs> And sure enough, the biggest set of the day, just horizon goes black and everyone starts scratching to get to the shoulder. And I'm like, I'm heading straight to the peak. And actually, Aaron Gold, so I think he still holds the world record for biggest paddling ever, which was out at at Piahi. He's so deep. Of course he is, because he's a legitimate psychopath. Love the guy to death. The coolest, nicest, mellowest human being you will ever meet. Complete psycho in the lineup. He's so deep on like, unlike a 50 foot face wave. And I see him and I'm like, Aaron, bro, you are too deep and I'm going. It's my day. <laughs> so I, I just whip this thing. I'm like halfway up the face and I whip it and I look where he is. I was like, he's not making it. Thank God he did it because it would have been even worse. But he gets detonated. Ooh, and I'm just like, here we go. Let go of the rails. And I don't know how many people have experienced waves on that level. And I know you've, you've probably heard about flow state and where things slow down. Almost every single wave out there, time slows down. It's just, you're, you're, you're just teetering on that edge of life and death so much that I think your brain can't really process it. So I remember the second that I let go of the rails, everything went slow motion. Still to this day, I remember everything. There's a, there's a boil. There's a couple of boils on the West Bolt, but I saw the boil like shift and, and there's a little clear spot on the boil as I'm like pushing off my rails. I'm like, oh, weird. I'm controlling time right now. And as soon as I get to my feet, 
my eyes glance up, but my body's still going straight. And I'm just watching this thing stack. And I'm still in the headspace of like, this is the biggest wave I've ever paddled into. And I'm pulling into this thing. I don't care what it does. I'm like, I'm making my mark today. And sure enough, sure enough, it just starts bending. And you'll see the channel, like you're looking out at these, at like Maui, because the channel and there's, there's some hills uh, on the other side of the the West Bowl. So I'm going right and I can see the red rock going into the ocean. And I'm just like watching the entire ocean start to lift up. And I have a chance to straighten out and get away from it. I'm like, not today. <laughs> <laughs> and I just pull up into the barrel and I just watch it. It, it was small at first, which was kind of trippy because it, it got almondy before it hit the boil on the inside. And I'm just watching this, the entire ocean just fold over me. And I'm up high. And then it just goes, and it expands. And I, I, in my mind, in the way that I remember it, I'm looking up at just a cavern. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> but I'm like, I have the line. I was like, I have the line. Like, I said it in the perfect spot but then what happened is it hit the inside boil and it, it like took a breath and when it, it when it expanded my fin started to give out and my board starts sliding and now i'm turned and i'm looking at the shed like the wave in front of me instead of out of the barrel <laughs> and i'm all uh-oh <laughs> my board goes and i just i hit I, my, I remember sliding on my back and looking up at this thing. And my, my board was 10-4 at the time. It's not being touched by the barrel. A 10-4 gun is, still has the lip over it. While I'm sliding on my back, looking at oh the heavens just go over me. Oh my God. And then it goes fast again. This was all slow motion until you get picked up. And as soon as it pulled me down and you get like this, it's like dynamite. Like, but it's muffled, right? Because you're in the water, you just just, and you're, it feels like you're getting hit by. Man, if you could crash a car into a waterfall, <laughs> that's like, that's like the violent nature of it, right? Like you can't control your limbs, you're getting whiplash, you're just getting tossed around. But the the punishment of how heavy the water is, like, and this is one thing a lot of people don't think about or experience is you're instantly so deep underwater that you like have to pop your ears because of the atmospheric pressure right like if you're free diving and you're going down you feel pressure you got to pop your ears but now it's a it's 50 feet of water instantly goes over you so it's instantly that much amount of pressure why you just get just rocked to the left and right and you and you can't breathe and you can't breathe it's, it sounds awful. It is. It's big wave surfing is such a love hate relationship. And thankfully that one, like it was super aggressive in the beginning, but you get, uh, Garrett McNamara called it this. He calls it the hand of God where sometimes so much force hits underneath. Like, I don't know if it made it all the way down to the reef, but the energy has to come back up. So you just you're just getting lit up and then all of a sudden something just starts, you get in like the right spot where something just starts lifting you up and you're getting caught in the cycle of, of the wave that's hitting down, but the energy has nowhere to go. You just, 
I started getting blasted up towards the surface fairly quickly. So I wasn't down that long, but the how violent it was in the beginning, I was all, oh, this is it. <laughs> I was like, you wanted it. <laughs> you said it. Here you go, kid. And it, yeah. And then I saw the footage and I was all, that might be one of the worst wipeouts I've ever had. <laughs> but also, but also the biggest wave I ever paddled into and the best shot I ever had of my life because before it, it, it clamped on me, I'm, I'm standing in a cavern. Just like that feeling, that vision I had of looking at the cliffs out of the barrel, seeing the jet skis like go up the face of it and then to get the shot. And I have the video of it and survived. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's, it's, I will, I will never, I, I'm glad it's so well documented because I, I get to relive it, even though it was one of the scariest moments. It was also the closer I've been to death, the more I felt alive. And it was one of those moments where so many good things happened and so much bad happened all in such a short amount of time that it was, oh Yeah. Just, just imprinted forever in my mind. That's the one that was nominated because that was the biggest swell of that year. Everybody was there. And I actually made a barrel later. That that was my first wave. And I because I I handled it fairly well and everyone in the channel was like, oh, I was like, where's the next one? I was like, I'm going, I caught, <laughs> I caught three waves that day, which is a good day. If you catch one wave out there, you, you had a good yeah. day. You catch two waves. You had a great day. You catch three. It was like one of your best sessions you've ever had. Yeah. Just because they're so hard to catch. And I right. made nice two out of... And yeah, with that crowd, well, good thing. They were good big wave surfers. They didn't really know the lineup yet. So I kind of knew where I could I could play. But on the last wave I had that day, it was a smaller one, but fully got barreled and came out. And then that, that like solidified my... That got me sponsors. That like got me a lot of exposure from that. That swell. It did what I wanted it to do. I went to go prove something, and it right, right. It were it was arrogant, and I almost died. But mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. Story. All right. Oh yeah. This. I'm sure you're a busy guy. I don't want to take up more of your time, but uh, thanks again for thanks again for everything. Uh, Hey everyone, it's Van. Hopefully you've been enjoying the podcast. Hopefully you've been listening to some good stories, getting some good tips that are helping you improve as a surfer. If so, make sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, it'll only take you literally a few seconds, and share it with your friends. That's the best way you can support me so I can continue to create awesome new content for you. So thanks.